Welcome to this episode of Dad Bod History. Ow! I'm Jake. We got Eric and Cameron here tonight. How you guys doing? Mm. A little bit sunburned. Sun kissed, you mean? You Sun kissed. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, that, wasn't that the? Uh, oh yeah, the raisin brand, right? Sun kissed. Sun kissed. Was that what raisin brands thing? Do you Sun remember? Made. Do you remember? I don't know if you guys did this in uh in a uh, high school. But I did. Um, there is this product you could buy called a touch of sun. And I think it was basically lemon juice. And you just I never spray, did this. You'd spray it in your hair. And it was supposed to give you natural highlights. <laughs> you would spray it in your hair. And then you go when you were outside, the lemon juice or whatever would interact with your hair and, and subtly bleach it. Seems uh, legit. Oh, yeah. No, I I looked great. I looked just like. No, uh, I, I, I just bleached my hair instead. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is like subtle highlights. This is very, very classic. Mine were not subtle. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, high school boys are not known for their subtlety when it comes to fashion. So, yeah, I I put so much hair, so much bleach on my head that it like burned my scalp. So I I went for the gold. No, I did that too. I did, trust me, I did that several times. And I'd always have to like double bleach it because my hair was so dark. It's the first, the first, supposed bleach, to tingle, right? The first bleaching <laughs> would make it orange. And then I have to bleach it again to get it the platinum white that I wanted it to be. This yeah. one time I, it I took it out source. Oh, like yeah. early and it came out copper. And I was just like, yeah, mm. we're keeping that. Nice. I like it, Eric. That's a good look. Mm. It was very You nice. should do it again. Yeah, you know, this summer would be a good opportunity. Do you want to do it? Do a little dad bod, dad bod highlights? Uh, Maybe bleach my beard. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Can't bleach your beard. I've done that before and it did not look good. I don't remember that. Me? Yeah. Oh, this is long before I knew you. Yeah, this is when I was in college. I had a... I had a sweet goatee because it was the early 2000s. Obviously. And I had bleached my hair. I'm like, well, I got to bleach the goatee. He called it the Chandler. Yes, it looked terrible. But (laughs) that's not that's not what this episode's about. That's not what we're talking about. Um, (laughs) We're going to talk about Mount Rushmore uh, tonight. And we're going to do a little refacing of Mount Rushmore. So if we get to pick all new presidents to put on Mount Rushmore in South Dakota, uh, which presidents would we pick? Uh, but before we get into that, you guys have any stories from the dad front? Any things going on in your lives that you want to share? Funny anecdotes? I know, Eric, you said you were sun-touched today because you're doing some some work, right? Yeah, we uh, we put irrigation in this weekend. So I rented a trencher. Mm-hmm. Our soil out here is like on the hardness scale. The most minerals, it's probably like a six. Um, That's pretty tough, yeah. Yeah, and I have like all these trench shovel, or I have a trench shovel and others. And as soon as we got the trencher out, you know, it's this big walk behind one, put on trailer. Uh, The guy, you know, I was renting it from this rental company, and he said, "Uh, you ever use one of these before? I said, nope. (laughs) He's like, okay, here's what you do. 30-second 
like pull the choke, turn the key, turn the choke off. This goes reverse, this goes forward. Up here turns it right, up here turns it left. He says, when you're ready to, to, to cut it, you pull this back to the left, it's gonna start spinning, it's gonna spin that out, so it kicks the dirt out. Use this lever, push it up, push it down. So it's, uh, there you go. So, but it's this, it's not a, a huge machine, but it's not small. And I had this very narrow kind of run along the side of my house. And I, that's where I had to do my first cut. And it, the cut that I was going to do, once I got the trencher in there, I realized I couldn't do it. I had, cause I, I was either going to run into my house or if I went too far to the left, I was just going to cut through the drain line. Mm. I didn't want that. So I just cut this line and then, you know, within an hour and a half, everything was cut. So then it was all about putting the pipe in and I had some good help. And then today I was just tinkering with stuff. So, yeah, it is interesting because, you know, I'll go to Home Depot or whatever and rent like a chainsaw or other various power tools. I rented a nail gun uh, this past week because we were working on our basement and I was putting up baseboard. And I feel like they, they are very cavalier. Yeah, go ahead. Just take this and good luck. Like that's the extent, yeah, of, this the, was clearly the extent of the quality control. The heaviest machinery I've ever operated. And like it's this massive chainsaw that you're just driving into the ground. And it was, mm -hmm. it was a lot of fun. The next thing I'm going to need to get is a rototiller. And I asked the company, how much is it to rent this? He said 120. And I Seems went over steep. to home, I went over to Home Depot and I could buy one for 160. So I yeah. just bought one. Mm -hmm. I started playing with that today. Dust everywhere. So yeah, it's fun. It is fun. Power tools it, are very fun. It gives you an appreciation for, you know, some of those guys that built the highways in the West, you know, you're, you're working on a, in my case, my grass is 30 by 20 in my backyard. And I have poured so much blood, sweat, and tears. You guys have poured so much blood, sweat, and tears into that backyard over the years. And, you know, imagine, you know, taking dynamite through a, a pass in the mountains a hundred years ago. Yeah. So it gives you an appreciation. You think you're tough. Work on your backyard for a little while. It's killer. Yeah, it is. It, yeah, it's absolutely true. And it's funny. I was talking to somebody because I've been doing some housework, and and I was like, you know, I remember when I was a kid, my dad. One, he was a construction worker, so it was literally his job. But he built a deck in our backyard, and it was this really big, nice wooden deck, and like all that stuff. And all I was was a hammer. I was just a hammer monkey. That's all I did. <laughs> just told me where to hit the nails. And that's all I did really. And it's just unbelievable how skilled some of those guys are. And, and they have a strength that doesn't necessarily show up on, like, you don't look mm -hmm. at him and go, Oh yeah, he's strong. But you see him working. You're like, wow, that guy can work. Like it's, it's something else. Yeah. But, well, uh, and it's not even just like, it's not the physical strength of this kind of work. Like running the trencher was the easiest thing. Yeah. Like once I got a handle of it, like every time we got stuck, I just moved it forward again. And then I brought it back in reverse, started ripping through the ground again. And, but it was when we started laying pipe, I had, um, 
a teacher and her husband, they came over to help. And uh, I played basketball a week ago and my right knee is not doing well. Mm -hmm. Like just bending down, being on your knees in the dirt, like hunched over a pipe and holding them together. Like it's kind of like yoga and holding certain yoga poses Uh by far more difficult than just lifting weights. Yeah, exactly. It's like the endurance of the task of, you know, any of these physical labors, just holding positions and hunching over and yeah, it's, it's tough. Yeah. There's a difference between weight, weight room strong and having a strong back and being able to bend over, you know, six hours in a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, it's something else, but it also, it's like rewarding. Like once you get it done, you're like, man, I did that. Like, you, you know, even if it is just your backyard, you're like, I did that. And that was awesome. Um, so yeah, that's cool, man. I'm glad you're making some progress there. Uh, how about you, Cameron? Any stories? Uh, we are a little bit on a, a, a hot streak at the layman house with uh, random injuries. It's been a couple of years since we've been able to stay out of the ER, but we broke our streak and both of you guys know this story, yep. but, um, in the span of a couple of weeks, we had a broken arm that I referred to as a no doubter. Um, you know, not, <laughs> it, it was disfigured. It was sticking yep. out. It wasn't out of the skin, but, uh, my son was just, you know, being a kid and riding his scooter on the edge of the planter. Um, and, you know, ran out there, heard screaming and Mm -hmm. had to wrap it up for my benefit because I didn't want to look at it. So it was, it was pretty gnarly. Um, he'll be fine being the cast for another couple of weeks, but, uh, could have been worse. And then my four-year-old just learned how to, uh, just learned how to ride a bike and, you know, getting pretty good at it, started to feel herself and was looking back and waving as she, decided to take a turn pretty much face planted into the concrete and um so much blood i don't do well with blood especially with my daughters but mm-hmm. long story short she's fine so i guess it's just part of uh growing up and and the middle one now we have to wrap in bubble wrap for the next couple of weeks to make sure nothing happens well i'm glad she's okay that's scary stuff like and like you said with the daughter it shouldn't be different, but it is like, it is. I see. And, and I, I was talking to my wife. Cause we were talking about when you told us that your daughter got hurt and I was talking to my wife and she's like, you, she's like, to me, she goes, you do treat it. You do. It's different when it's your daughter. And I'm like, yeah, I guess it is. And I go, I don't know if that's because my son has uh, desensitized me to him hitting his head. Cause he does it so often. Like I just fall. And he's like, I'm okay. And I'm like, dude like that does not look okay but but i don't know with a daughter it's always different like yeah yeah so well glad she's okay um speaking of kids and i'm eight years late to this party but melatonin (laughs) oh boy He's just now discovering this oh man (laughs) why wasn't anybody telling me like that is that is magic. That is witch doctor magic. And I am here for it. Are you talking about for yourself or for the kid? No, I should <laughs> take it for myself for the kids. Like 
Like my wife, a couple of weeks ago, she's like, let's try melatonin. Cause our son has always had a hard time falling asleep. It's just, he just, he is up. And when he is up, he is nonstop motion. And so like, well, you know, and our daughter, I mean, she, she's pretty good at going to sleep. Um, but we're like my son, like we gave it to him and it was like 15 minutes later, he was out and we're like, is this legal? Like, is this okay? Like, I didn't like, it works so quickly that I still can't believe it. And we've been doing it for two weeks now. And, and we checked with this doctor. She's like, yeah, it's fine. If he has a hard time sleeping, that's fine. Can continue to give him melatonin. But, uh, like, it was just, it blew my mind. I've never seen anything like it. So I didn't know if you guys did that with your kids, but Oh yeah, we've, we've been <laughs> doing amazing. it for years. It yeah. it works absolutely. Yeah, I don't know what they put in it, and it's it's one mill one milligram <laughs> gone. I it's just it shouldn't be legal, but I'm glad it is. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. You know, you're you're saying this almost apologetically, Jake, and I'm I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands here, but you know the old put mm -hmm. put whiskey on their gums when they're teething when they're really tiny um you know there's that works there's certain things that you know you don't need to apologize for because well, it just works you know and you're right and it was funny that you say that because when i was a kid my mom and dad didn't do this but my grandma would give me hot toddies when i was staying over at, at my grandparents house she'd give me a little rum on the gums um to get me to go to sleep at night and it worked like she's like yeah he's asleep like i don't know why you are upset at me but <laughs> he went to sleep but uh yeah it works so it's been awesome like me and my wife are now like looking at each other at eight o'clock at night like what do we do like mm. do we just hang out like it's so liberating and i love it <laughs> i've always admired those parents who can get their kids in bed at like 7 30 at night and then they're actually able to spend time with their spouse and yeah. you know they get that hour or two and in my mind i i literally do this almost every day this is the night we're going to get the kids in bed early it's going to be great and just something happens you know my sixth grader says oh i've got homework when's it due tomorrow oh when was it assigned four weeks ago thanks for telling me you yeah. know there's always yeah. something mm -hmm. like that that comes up and tonight is not that night because I can still hear them as we're talking and it's almost nine o'clock. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Well, uh, let's get into the topic. So uh, I think it's going to be a several part series that we're going to do here um, on refacing Mount Rushmore. Uh, the, the objective here is to, if we could for, for tonight, if you could replace the four presidents currently on Mount Rushmore with four new presidents, which ones would you pick? For those of you that don't know, the four presidents currently on Mount Rushmore are George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln. So how many of you guys have been to Mount Rushmore? I have not. Eric, have you? I have not. Okay. <clears throat> I have. Um, a couple years ago, when I was a kid i was like 11 or 12 um my mom and i would go to south dakota there was a summer camp that we went to like a family camp for a week 
um, in the summer for two years. And it was in South Dakota in, in the Black Hills where Mount Rushmore is. And, and so I have seen it. It's it's pretty wild because uh, there's a moment, when, not so much when you're just standing there looking at it, um, but there's a moment when you're driving towards it and uh, you take this turn and you look to your left and there's like the break in the trees and you see George Washington's face just boom right there like it's unbelievable and then you you know then you pull up to the actual tour spot and look at it and take photos so it's really cool but um it's uh yeah it's, it's pretty interesting little history um that i want to go over real quick before we get into the um the our choices for how we what presidents we pick to replace it um so uh the idea came from historian Don Robinson um, that's where the idea came from to put presidents on a mountain. Um, but they didn't just want to put presidents. They wanted to pick other famous historical figures in American history. Um, they were thinking Lewis and Clark, um, Sacagawea, Red Cloud, uh, and Buffalo Bill Cody as also people that they wanted to put on this mountain of famous Americans. Uh, it was created by sculptor Gutzon Borglum and, uh, he is the one that kind of pushed it towards presidents because he thinks it would get more appeal if it was just presidents and not just any famous Americans. Um, and so he's the one that pushed for the presidents. He was also, interestingly, uh, Eric, I'm sure you know what Stone Mountain is, Stone Mountain Memorial in Georgia. That's the uh, one that's got the Confederate soldiers carved into yeah. the side, right? Yeah, he also yeah. worked on that one. So his, you know, his CV letter is a little spotty when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, but um, he was the one that designed Mount Rushmore. So uh, construction began in 1927, ended in October of 41. Uh, Borglum didn't even see it finished. He actually died in March of 1941 and his son finished the project for him uh, before it was called Mount Rushmore. Um, it was named Mount Rushmore after a wealthy investor named Charles Rushmore, who began visiting the area in the 1880s and on hunting trips. And he goes, oh, I should name this mountain after myself. And lo and behold, he did. Uh, before that, though, it was called Six Grandfathers, the Six Grandfathers in Lakota. Um, so it was a sacred site the, to the Lakota tribe in South Dakota. Um, the Six Grandfathers represent six entities that are deities, the north, the south, the east, the west the sky above and the earth below. Uh, your favorite guy, Eric, possibly one of your candidates, Calvin Coolidge, was approved by the Congress during Calvin Coolidge's term as president in 1927. And the four presidents that they picked, there's a reasoning behind it. Uh, Washington obviously being the first president and the birth of the United States. Uh, Jefferson um, with the Declaration of Independence and the growth of the United States um, because of the Louisiana Territory acquired. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was the development of the United States. That's why he was picked um, for things like the Panama Canal. Um, he uh, was one of the first people to break up large corporate monopolies and um, a lot of economic growth in Teddy's presidency. Also, Borglum, the guy that created it, was a member of Teddy Roosevelt's Bull Moose Party. So 
There's a little bias there. Surprise, surprise. I know. And then Lincoln, because uh, of the preservation of the United States and the abolition of slavery. So that's why that's why the four that were picked were there. Um, they had a specific reason. It wasn't just. I um, also I, have a theme. Oh, do you? Oh, yes, I do. Awesome. I'll Anyways, let you here. guess once I'm done. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Um, there has been a movement to add other figures. Um, Susan B. Anthony, who obviously fought for suffrage, Ronald Reagan. Um, at one point there was a campaign to put him on there, JFK, FDR, Obama, and Eisenhower. Um, probably most recently, when it was a 2020 campaign, Trump visited South Dakota and he did a photo op in front of Mount Rushmore and the way he posed it. He posed in such a way that he could put his, so he, his face looked like it would have been the fifth head, um, which is pretty clever. Uh, I don't really care for Trump. Never misses a photo op. Speaking of Trump. Okay. Uh, we decided this weekend we were going to show my kids a particular trilogy. And so we started watching Back to the Future. And uh, we watched Back to the Future 2 this afternoon. They go to the uh, future. Trump is Biff. Oh, yeah. Biff is Trump. Like Rich Biff is Trump. Oh, he totally is. I, it's, and I'm watching, it never occurred to me. Biff is Trump. Yeah. Uh, okay. So where were we? Uh, but yeah, so there, there's been, so there's been other figures that people have said, well, why don't we add these other figures? All of those um, are pretty famous Americans. I, I would say, and I think you'd agree, Eric we don't add people that are currently alive because that's not the point of a memorial like that. Um, so unless, you, we, you know, unless we kill them first. <laughs> yeah, let's not start talking about killing famous presidents. And that's not a good thing to say on a podcast, but um, they've also said it would be really difficult to add a fifth head. There's just not enough room on that face of the mountain to add a fifth person. You know, Facebook and Twitter are okay with it. If you're talking about Russians so Eric, let's not. Oh, that's not what this podcast. <laughs> no, we're not getting I into. Just, no, you know. No, not gonna do it. Not gonna do it. Um. So not gonna do it. Let's get into our selection. So the way we're breaking this out, um, there's a general theme here. You have to pick a president from each of these four eras that I. I um sort of arbitrarily chose uh so the first era of american history that i have would be 1789 to 1865 that would be the pre-civil war also known as the antebellum era so post-revolutionary pre-civil war era um 1789 to 1865 the second era would be your reconstruction era and american expansionism that would be 1865 to 1901 1901 to 1945, that would be a roaring 20s, the Depression, um, New Deal, World War II, and then from 1945 to today, um, you have your Cold War, the Civil Rights Movement, the War on Terror. Um, you can't pick somebody that's alive, so that means Trump, Obama, Biden, obviously, uh, Bush, and Jimmy Carter. He's still there, still hanging and on. Clinton. So and Clinton. So you can't pick those six. Um, they can't be one of your picks, but anyone else from 1945 to now um, is eligible. Uh, make a case. What's the body of work? Why, why would you pick them? Um, what are their pros? Are there any cons? Is there a reason that they shouldn't go on this mountain? 
Um, and what's their Rushmore achievement? Like, what's the one thing that says this guy deserves to be on Mount Rushmore? I, I mean, you can make a case of body work, and I think that's important, but also, you know, what's the one thing? Obviously, George Washington, you know, won the Revolutionary War. That puts him up on Mount Rushmore. Thomas Jefferson's big thing was the Declaration of Independence. Um, Lincoln preserving the Union, winning the Civil War. Uh, Roosevelt, uh, Roosevelt might have more than one uh, when he was being you know, awesome, just being awesome. Uh, one of the <laughs> rough riders. Um, so it, before he was president, you know, being one of the rough riders, I, I would say is a Mount Rushmore type moment. Um, the storming of San, San Juan Hill um, during being the Spanish. played by Robin Williams in the Night at the Museum series. Also Rushmore worthy. Great yeah. achievement. All right. So that's kind of the, the plan here. So, Eric, let's start with you. Who would be your pick from 1789 to 1865? So, currently on there, there's two presidents from that era, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. We're knocking them off and we're putting a new one on there. So I, I, I kind of have to preface this with my theme. Um. Because I think there's going to be a, a great number of disqualifying factors for some of my presidents that I'm going to choose. But my theme has to do with the fact that I don't think anyone should be on Mount Rushmore. Because I think memorializing people in this way gets is, is crossing a line. It's one thing to have a statue at a memorial where there's information about somebody. But just to have faces blasted into a mountain as awesome as that as that is of a of a feat i think it lends itself to worship and i don't care for that i agree with that i I think it's wrong on several levels one you shouldn't make idols especially mountain-sized idols and uh, another thing as i researched mount rushmore is that it was a sacred mountain before that and we absolutely destroyed it and defaced it for our own purposes. Um, so I, I can, I can understand that sense. But that thought so, has, has never occurred to me. And now that you say that, it's like, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's which, which literally thought? the first commandment of, uh, you know, oh. a statue is one thing, but a mountain is, is quite another. And I haven't seen, like I said, how big yeah, it is, but you know, that's a, that's a huge, you know, structure to a man. Yeah. And so, so, my choices all have to do with people that I think would have ended up on Mount Rushmore if we were more honest about basically trying to be the Romans and trying to worship our leaders. (laughs) So my list is made up of people who would have come back to Washington, D.C. victorious from military campaigns and so they're having a triumph yeah they're having a triumph that's the word so my first one and and my list is oh (laughs) my first one is andrew jackson because he's the highest ranking he's the president who has the highest military rank outside of washington in that time span Hmm. and he's awful but his military (laughs) feats are actually 
pretty great in, in terms of like if you're just looking at militarily like he won the battle of new orleans which took place after the war was over he fought in the first seminole war right he led these forces on numerous campaigns and that's that is a feat that is something that would have been celebrated by people who are going to put faces on mountains right the battle of hanging rock in the revolutionary war battle of talladega not knights uh ricky bobby won that one <laughs> and mcfawn uh in achitopo creek which he probably i mean these are the creek war right so he's slaughtering natives uh battle of pensacola battle of new orleans another war against native americans conquest of F florida so he has these military feats he's a leader and so he is if if america's like all right we're gonna put our best like military presidents boom put andrew jackson's face up there i you know that's interesting i i think it's it's not what i would have done but um i like it in the sense that in a way it's it's a a very upfront way for us to confront a lot of the problematic things about andrew jackson um if you put his face on a mountain like that you know say look this is the guy he was a terrible guy like he did a lot of awful things uh his probably his mount rushmore moment would be the trail of tears uh, which is not good like it's awful but as you said he was in that era specifically outside of washington he was the only one that has any of the military chops that Washington had. Yeah. So I like, I, I, I like your reasoning for that pick. That's very interesting. Um, um, was, and he was a Colonel. He got no higher major than general, major, major general. general. Okay. Which is, um, yeah. Major general. I was just thinking from the song about the war of 1812 and they call him Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. So. Just had to clarify for well, he he got promoted by slaughtering natives yeah. after that. <laughs> All Very right, career man. oriented. <laughs> My gosh. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Now and, I, and hold on. How appropriate appropriate would it be for them to slap his face on the six grandfathers, like? That that's something that would, if you're the kind of that'd be very like, Jacksonian. Not only are, are we going to defeat you, but then we're going to remind you with the face of, of the defeat. person who defeated you. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like what Caesar did when he finally crushed the Celts, and he, you know, had Birkin Getterix paraded through Rome on a yeah. leash, um, saying, "I've crushed you, and I will make you remember it forever." Um, that is that would be very Jacksonian to do that. And that's very interesting. I still wouldn't pick him, but I, I like your reasoning behind it. Uh, uh, I'll go. Um, so I'm going to pick uh, John Adams and uh, I'm picking him because I think he's the less loved founding father. Oh. Obviously Washington gets a lot of praise as the, the father of the nation, winning the American revolution, uh, being the first president, 
And then you have Jefferson who wrote the Declaration of Independence. Um, although the shine off both of those presidents and both those men has come off, you know, as more has been discovered about their slave owning pasts. Um, but they were still foundational to the birth and growth of America. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, also never a president, but people always think he was because he's on the hundred dollar bill. And then you have John Adams, kind of the fourth man out of those four. And, and he doesn't really get the recognition he deserves, although he was instrumental in the writing of the Declaration of Independence. He was the second president of the United States. Um, he was an ambassador to the Dutch Republic. He was commissioner to France. He helped negotiate the Treaty of Paris, which is what formally ended the Revolutionary War. Um, he's an ambassador to Great Britain. And uh, I, I think because he's kind of sandwiched literally in his presidency between Washington and Jefferson, he doesn't really get all the recognition that he deserves. And, um, you know, I, I think his time is due. I, I think out of the presidents up to the Civil War, um, and if you can't pick Washington or Jefferson, and you can't pick Lincoln because he's already on there. You, you're kind of, I think, as a man, he's one of the better men that served as president um, during that time period. Yeah, he's, uh, John Adams has always been interesting. He's very surly, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of ended up being a grumpy guy and didn't get along with a lot of people. Yeah. But he's also didn't have the military background. He was basically a farmer and a lawyer, and he was, I, I suppose at the time, what you would consider an abolitionist. Yeah, he's far closer to it than many of the other founders, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, and so I, I just like John Adams in that regard. I, th I think he gets kind of overlooked um, in his own era because of the the literally the mountainous men of Washington and Jefferson. Um, and I, I think he deserves a little more credit than that. How about you, uh, Cameron? Who do you got? Yeah, kind of similar to what the road that Jake was going on down. Um, you know, when you look at the first couple presidents of the United States, obviously there's some big names there. But the guy that stands out to me that why didn't this guy get enough uh, as much credit was James Madison. Um, all these years later, looking at the Bill of Rights, which he contributed to um, hugely, just the understanding of human nature um, amazes me. Yes, it was beautifully written. And yes, it was very, um, he, he didn't mince words on it. He was very clear, didn't, um, you know, leave it up to a lot of interpretation. Um, and I can appreciate brevity because that's not something that i'm known for um he he also the whole idea of strong centralized government um you know there was there was a two sides during that time the federalists and the anti-federalists and he wanted to take away that strong central government he wanted to make this hey this is a state's thing and there was a lot of talk during that time is are we the united states or is each state going to be a country and the way that he worded his arguments and the way that he very, because he, he understood, hey, we all need to be a one united country, but at the same time, we need to defer to the states in 
some of these big um, decision-making things. So um, I, I'm a big, when I go back in history, you know, you can learn a lot from the words that are actually coming out of a man's mouth. And uh, this quote really stood out to me. It says, the powers delegated by the proposed constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. So he was very clear about his intentions that, no, we don't want a centralized government. We want this to be ruled by many, not by few. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting because what Jefferson was to the Declaration of Independence, Madison very much was to the formation of our Constitution. Um, And you can say, well, there's some things he put in there Mm -hmm. as part of the not the Virginia, well, the Virginia Compromise, but also the... uh, three-fifths compromise, but mm-hmm. yeah, but he also helped create this document, this living document that can be changed and made better over time. And defended it in the Federalist Papers. Like right. he was yeah. one of the three authors who's put a great deal of effort into that. And, yeah. uh, you know, without defending it the way they did, it doesn't get adopted. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think he was a pragmatist too, because the three-fifths compromise, like he he hated that. He hated that, that a slave is three-fifths of a person. But if this is what we've got to do to push this through and make this work, okay, I'll begrudgingly sign this. But, you know, my my understanding, and tell me if I'm wrong, is he he didn't seem like he trashed others in in their opinions. It was, hey, you know, we got to get this done. Let's work like grownups. Um, I don't see a lot of incendiary quotes from him over the years. Tell me if I'm wrong. You know, he was not a bombastic guy like that at all. In fact, it's funny because he, uh, I don't know who played him on Hamilton. I'm sure Eric does because that's like his favorite show ever now. Mm-hmm. But um, the guy that played him on Hamilton is like this towering, like six foot five, well-built man. Yeah, he also he, he's a it's a dual character. He's a little dude, yeah. James Madison is like a hundred pounds dripping wet and is like mm-hmm. five foot two and mm-hmm. very soft spoken. Um, but he's instrumental in the forming of the foundational document to the United States. So it is very interesting how he, you know, not being a Jackson. So if Jackson's this big military macho guy, he's not he's the opposite of that, and yet. Mm-hmm. He's foundational to the formation and the organization of our government. And I think him, as as well as many of the founders, knew if they couldn't get this Constitution written, uh, then they would have just become 13 independent states. And they would have been subject to the British or the French coming in and taking them over piece by piece again. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a big credit to him. Uh, yeah, I like that one. That's a good pick. I didn't even think about James Madison. Um, all right. So era two, 1865 to 1901. So this is the reconstruction era. That's only about 35 years that we have here. Obviously Lincoln would have been assassinated in 1865. I'm almost certain nobody's going to pick Andrew Johnson, but who knows? Um, since he was the first president impeached. So, um, I'll go. I'll go first uh, this time. I'm going to pick James Garfield. 
Uh, so he's uh, from Ohio. He actually served in the Civil War as a general. Uh, what's interesting about him, though, was in 1880, during the Republican nomination for the presidency, he went into that nomination. The nomination process was very different back then. He went into the convention um, supporting John Sherman to be the nominee for the Republican Party. <laughs> and he gave a speech supporting John Sherman. And the speech was very well received. People loved it. And they said, you know what? We want you to be our nominee. Garfield hmm. did not want to be the nominee at all. He was like, no, no, no. I want John Sherman to be like, and they're like, no, 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 you get it. You're our nominee. And then he went on to win the general election in 1880, um, which that alone, hey, Eric, and I know you talk about this. He goes, you, often you say the best leaders are those that don't want the job. <laughs> and I and I think of James Garfield when I when you say that because he literally did not want to be the president of the United States. They for, forced it upon him. Um, and, and in today's terms, that is absolutely ridiculous to think. I mean, that is literally the equivalent of the best man taking the mic and saying all these great things about the groom, and then the bride going to plant a kiss on the best man and leaving with the best man. I mean, that is that mind is blowing. quite the analogy by wow. today, but it works. And I like I, it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it would be equally as scandalous and shocking. Right. Yeah. yeah. If that happened today, if someone went to the DNC convention or the RNC convention for who they thought was going to be the nominee. And then everyone there changed their mind. Like, no, we want you now. You gave such a good speech. We want you yeah. forget Joe Biden, forget Donald Trump. We want this guy. Brian says I'm Biden. leaving with that guy. Yeah. Corey Booker, <laughs> Corey Booker and Ben Sass. I don't know, but anyway, Oh, um, what a ticket. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that alone makes me want to put him on Mount Rushmore because he didn't want the job and they gave it to him anyway. Um, during his time, and, and he was only in office, he didn't even serve a full year. He, he was actually killed uh, in office, one of the shorter presidencies in America. Um, but he pushed for civil service reform. Um, he wanted to get rid of the spoils system, um, which is the idea that to the victor of the election goes the spoils. Basically, I can put my friends in, I can engage in some very serious nepotism to benefit those who supported me in the campaign. Why um, else this, would I run for president? This is something that, well, that's probably why you picked Jackson. This is something that Andrew <laughs> Jackson very heavily um, used, but uh, that was something that was rampant in most of the elections at this time b before 1880. Um, and so he wanted to get rid of that kind of system of governance. He also pushed for civil rights. Again, this is the reconstruction. He also proposed universal education uh, for all children, including those um, African-American children. He nominated African-Americans to prominent positions in Washington. Uh, he actually chose Frederick Douglass to be the recorder of deeds in Washington and uh, Robert Elliott uh, to be an agent in the treasury, um, among others. Uh, unfortunately, he was assassinated by Charles Charles Guiteau, who was, um, and it's interesting because when you were elected president, people could come to you, like if they supported your campaign and, um, or whatever, you know, wrote speeches for you or anything like that. And they come to you and basically lobby for a job either in the cabinet or in the administration somewhere. 
And so he was lobbying, uh, Charles was lobbying, um, I lost my train of thought, James Garfield, lobbying James Garfield for a job because he was a supporter of Garfield's. And uh, Garfield met with him and then um, Secretary Blaine met with him, Secretary of State Blaine met with him. And they basically said, yeah, this guy should not get a job. He is not deserving of office, you know, in, in our government. And so then Guiteau was bitter because of that. And on July 2nd, he shot Garfield and then Garfield died like three months later in September 19th, 1881. Right. <laughs> and part of the reason he died one, they had a metal detector as a primitive metal detector that they used to find the bullet that was lodged in him, hmm. but he was laying on a metal bed. So it just kept going off in the wrong spot. And so they couldn't accurately find the bullet. And then also this was early days of understanding of medical hygiene. And so they were just kind of digging their fingers in the bullet wound, looking around when obviously they weren't sanitizing anything. And so he got infected and, and he died three. There's a good chance he could have lived, you know, had they understood a little bit more about hygiene. Um, <laughs> I'll say it was wild. And all I have to say, he had a very short presidency, but he did a lot of things that I, one, I think are very representative of that era, especially in regards to civil rights and reconstruction. And, um, and to the fact that he didn't want the job makes me think he should be on Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Although he'd probably hate being on Mount Rushmore because that doesn't seem like the kind of guy he was. You know what? You don't get to choose. It's chosen yeah. for you. Yeah. All right. Uh, Eric. Well, got to be somebody with a worthy triumph and in this era that clearly goes to ulysses s grant the victor of the civil war yeah nobody comes close may have had you know like a, a bouts of depression and alcoholism and a lot of other demons in his closet but the man through sheer force of combat and logistics helped Lincoln preserve the union union. Logistics though, that, that was his thing. That's what he had trained for in the Mexican American war was he was, he learned logistics and that's how he won the civil war. Which is so interesting because of what's happening today in Ukraine and the Russian army, what was once thought so feared and vaunted, is falling apart because of logistics. failure in logistics. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. They can't keep their supply lines. They can't keep their troops fed. They can't do anything. And they're suffering mightily because of it. Except use the world's fastest rocket. It is absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. They have some cutting edge technology. They just do not have like the will and infrastructure to use it well. Mm -hmm. So that's good, actually. Yeah, no, it's good about that. (laughs) So yeah, Grant goes up there. What's interesting though, is you pick Grant and, you know, sticking with your theme. And once you said your theme, like, well, Grant has to be his choice for the next one. Uh, But... (sighs) He was not a good president. Like No, like, his presidency was awful. Yeah, he was one of the most scandal-ridden presidencies we've ever had. Um, and it wasn't out of, like, maliciousness. It was almost out of incompetency. Like, he he kind of yeah. ended up surrounded by people 
who he couldn't trust or who, who didn't want, you know, didn't weren't trustworthy, but he needed people teapot, to do things. Teapot and, dome scandals was his, right? Teapot dome. No, that was in the uh, 1910s, 1920s. Oh, pretty sure. Anyway. Yeah. It was just great general, bad president, which is telling in its own right. Yeah. That was in the twenties. I must be thinking of something else. But he had, he had, yeah, he had plenty of scandals. All right. Uh, Cameron, your pick for this era. Do we lose you? So I, I too am going to go with, with Grant. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going through the presidents of that era and he's, he's kind of the winner by default. Um, and, and again, yeah, not to repeat what Eric said, but, um, very effective on the battlefield. And that was kind of an era where they kind of got thrust into leadership as a result of success on the battlefield field. So again, not a, not a, fantastic president but i'm just looking at pictures of him you know post-war and then later in his life i mean his eyes are hollowed out his eyes look awful and some of these photos of him he didn't look like a healthy man he didn't look like a happy man um but you know was thrust into a position of leadership he he hated wearing the uniforms, he hated the attention of, um, you know, leadership and that kind of thing, alcoholic for, for most of his life. Um, but this statement really, uh, lingers in my mind, really cool quote. He says, everyone has superstitions. One of mine has always been when I started to go anywhere or do anything, never to turn back or stop until the thing intended was accomplished. Um, we could all take a page out of that book is just relentlessness. And, and that's how he won the war. Um, that's how he had success. And, you know, that's a big uh, microcosm of life is you can, you can just keep, keep grinding away. Um, you're going to have success. So Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah, it's interesting because he was <clears throat> he was almost unsettlingly calm in battle, terrifyingly so. But outside of battle, he really struggled with a lot of things. Obviously, presidency being one, uh, it's like he was he was made for the Civil War, like that's that's what he was built for, and everything outside of that he struggled with. But without him. I mean, there's a very good chance that that war ends differently, um, which is very worthy in its own right of making him on Mount Rushmore. And apparently spearheaded the 15th Amendment. Um, yeah, which is a big deal, obviously, in a in a democracy. It's interesting because he, you know, Johnson, Andrew Johnson, the vice president and the one who took over after Lincoln. um, when, when Lincoln was assassinated, uh, Andrew Johnson was, I think he was a Democrat up until a Southern Democrat up until very recently before he became the vice president. And he did not, um, 
he's very he's very antagonistic towards recognizing African Americans' rights, and and so then Grant came after him and, and pushed for that, and and so it was very. Um, he just said he was more true to Lincoln's desires in that regard. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, era three, 1901 to 1945. Cameron, do you got yours ready to go for this era? Yeah, I've got mine. First. All right. Um, I I think that you got to go with Truman there. Um, just his his biggest contribution there is obviously dropping the atomic bombs and and ending the war. How many lives did he save? How many lives did he kill? Is he a villain? Is he a murderer? Is he you know a pragmatist who um, did what he had to do? It's it's a really difficult position for anybody to be in. And I forget the name of the book, but I read a book um, where I can't do it justice. Uh, Cliff, friend of the show, recommended the the book to me. And and basically the premise of this book is is the guy um, on his deathbed gets to go back to historical people and kind of interview them and meet with them and, and learn a little bit about them. And Truman was one of the people um, that he, he got to experience. And it was, in fact, right before that decision was made to, to drop the atomic bomb. So, I mean, historically, obviously, there's a lot of lives um, in the balance there. But from 1945 on really were the glory days of this country. and getting out of that war and turning the page of that, you know, really is, is where our country started to turn the quarter corner into a, the number one world power, um, you know, and maybe that's a, a too simplistic view of it. Um, but he was a very unassuming man, very, um, you know, a, a good human being. And, you know, when I, when I try to choose politicians, it's, it's hard to find the good person oftentimes, you know, and you don't know who you're voting for and what their true character is like, but um, you know, he just seems like he was a a good person um, to have on your side. And there's something to be said for that, having integrity and having um, decency is, is something that I want on my team of, of presidents. You know, there's a certain college roommate that would disagree with literally everything Cameron just said. That Truman was none of those things. Hmm. That he was just a tool for the, I don't know, Masons or Illuminati. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Deep state. No, Uh, not deep state. Like deep Illuminati type stuff. Like, hmm. yeah. Yeah, He, he, you know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this, this roommate that we had uh, did so much research into Truman. There's a fine line between love and hate. He like hate researched Truman <laughs> to tell us how bad Truman was. And it's like, I don't think, I, I don't know, man. He, I, he well, took there, me to the Truman library in Independence, yeah. Missouri. And I think it's there. Anyways, wherever we went, the statue. There's the statue of Truman, and it was like 11:30 p.m. at night. He's like, "Let's go look at the statue. I want to show you stuff." And he like showed me the statue, and it's like, "All right, man, that's hmm. something. That's something." 
Yeah. I, I like Truman. I think he's interesting because he had to, he, of the ones we've picked, he's the only one that became president as a vice president so far, um, mm. you know, after the president died. And so, and the war was still going on and he had to bring that to a successful close. And then he had to navigate the beginning years of the cold war with a now very ascendant USSR um, and Stalin um, being a very strong leader in that regard. And so Truman had to navigate that um, after Franklin Roosevelt died. And um, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of, especially with the advent of nuclear weapons, there's a lot of tight moments there that he navigated. So I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves one because he's sandwiched again between much like Adams, two giants in FDR and Dwight Eisenhower. Mm -hmm. Um, And you you just almost kind of forget Truman um, in, in that inter interim there. Um. And then, and you didn't say this, but you should have, uh, the famous printing of the paper when his reelection in 48, where it said, Dewey defeats Truman, but Truman actually won. Um, and then he holds it up. It's one of the most famous. That's right. One of the most famous, probably presidential photos we've ever had. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, really you talk about fake news, right, Eric? Yeah. The lamestream (laughs) media. (laughs) Um, but yeah, good pick, man. Eric, why don't you go ahead? So this was really tricky because my theme that I've that I've kind of structured this around. How are you gonna? Is it? How are you going to frame Calvin Coolidge as a conquering hero? Is that? <laughs> so Calvin Coolidge conquered. <laughs> he conquered the noise in the room with silence. Um. Yeah, Calvin Coolidge has no military service, so <laughs> I, I can't. So I'm stuck. I'm I'm pinned in. And this is tough because this period from like 1901 to 1945 is devoid of anyone with a military background except for Theodore Roosevelt. We can't pick. Who would be perfect for this? Who's disqualified because he's already up there. So I'm stuck with William McKinley. Well, it's not a terrible choice. He was a general. It's he was a captain. He was a oh, was captain. He? That was his highest rank. So yeah, he was a captain in the Civil War. Um I guess what is this? He was a brevet major. Eh, that's not <laughs> much. Like I he he fought in the Shenandoah Valley. He was uh yeah, so I mean, he is a president that served, had military service. Um, he helped with the capture of Lexington, Virginia. Um, so that's basically what he has: is he's got this military service in the Civil War. Oh, um, but as president, yeah. Well, as president, they won the Spanish-American War. So that's that's true, and that's something that. When I'm going through this list, I'm I'm looking basically at their military service. But yeah, he could be said to have won the Spanish-American War, maybe even started it. But, you know, he won it. 
Remember the he main. He started Mary. it, but he finished it. Yeah, remember, remember the main. The you could say he's one of the most imperialist of all the presidents as well. I would agree with that. The advent of American imperialism. And somewhat seeking out the war. Mm-hmm. You know, conspiracies aside, he he definitely was in favor of a war. He just needed popular approval, popular um, support. support. So, but when he did, when we were able to go to war, we were able to take Puerto Rico and um, the Philippine Islands and a handful of other places around the globe that would give us more prominent power. So, yeah, that actually works really well then. Something I hadn't considered in that that choice, but yep. William McKinley. Okay. Uh, for my pick, I am going with FDR. I think he is, um, he kind of stands alone from any other president we've had. One, because he was the first and only president to serve more than two terms um, because then they changed the constitution immediately after that. Um, But he's elected to four terms. He took over from Hoover during the great depression and uh, famously said, we have nothing to fear, but fear itself. Uh, The new deal um, was his signature legislation. And, and with that, kind of reshaped American society, uh, advent of social security, the introduction of the minimum wage, um, the use of government programs to alleviate the um, pains of the Great Depression so that the Depression didn't leave. And there's an argument that can be made that, well, he prolonged the Great Depression, which many people have said, but he also was able to alleviate some of the hardships of the Great Depression um, as a result. Uh, And then right as the Great Depression is ending, it rolls into World War II, um, obviously the bombing of Pearl Harbor, a date which will live in infamy. And so to navigate these two monumental crises um, over a course of 12 years, but it's just, it speaks to, he, he was kind of singular in that regard. And, and maybe you could say, well, if other presidents had served longer, they could have had the same impact in America. But um, America went very much from a laissez-faire style of governance, um, for good or for bad, to a far more progressive and uh, proactive form of governance, especially in how they helped, um, you know, those that were down on their luck as, as a result of the, the great depression. So it, it, it was a really a turning point in American history, especially in the 20th century. And if, whether or not you agree with his policies, he was instrumental in that. And I think definitely deserving of um, being on Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I think it's a good pick. And I'm always super conflicted by um, the whole FDR thing. Cause like you said, he, he navigated things that, you know, gave him a maybe a little bit better chance to move his weight around and to mm-hmm. um, be well known. Um, but the way that he pro and again, I when it comes to this kind of stuff, I oversimplify history in my mind. So um, that's my little setup here. Is he looked at the government solves problems? He mm-hmm. looked at 
yeah, you know, we need to go solve the world's problems. And like you said, we're, we're going to be uh, globalists as opposed to isolationists and, you know, minimum wage I'm, I'm kind of against. So these are all kind of super liberal policies, but I think he did the best that he could in a time when, you know, unemployment was 25%. That is a mind blowing number. And then the biggest conflict of the 20th century is is the other thing that he kind of inherited through no fault of his own too. Um, So yeah, great president, no doubt. Um, But he's a, he's a complicated guy with a, with a lot of uh, shades of gray to him. Well, and, and, you know, it's interesting because he was also kind of a bully. Um, What was it? The switch in time that saved nine was uh, the Supreme court was ruling against some Mm. of his new deal policies. And he goes, Mm -hmm. well, I'll just expand the Supreme court, which today is verboten. Like, you know, we talk about it's like, was Biden going to expand the Supreme court? I'm like, well, FDR would have like, and he wouldn't have felt bad about it at all. So like Mm -hmm. in some regards, he was a bully and like he would push his weight around to get what he wanted, which is Mm -hmm. not necessarily presidential, but um, yeah. You kind of need a guy like that on your team. Sometimes if you're, if you're building a, a dream team of presidents, you, yeah. you need kind of a forceful personality as well. I get it. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. That ends up the third era. So now we are in the post world war two era, 1945 to today. Again, you can't pick any living uh, presidents or ex-presidents. So Eric, why don't you go first? Well, sticking with my theme, there's actually quite a few presidents in this era that could work, but the one who comes home with the triumph is none other than Dwight D. Eisenhower, Supreme Allied Commander, Supreme Commander Allied Expeditionary Force, General of the Army, Architect of D-Day, and the fall of Nazi Germany. Pretty good resume. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm tempted to just throw Patton on there in his stead, but Patton wasn't president. (laughs) Maybe if we do famous generals for an episode. Oh, yeah. Patton's up there. Yeah. Well, and and we've said it on the show before that that Eisenhower was the guy that Patton wasn't. Eisenhower was the, the one that could play nice and Patton couldn't. For what it's worth. Yeah. Uh, Eisenhower is the kind of general that ran his military like a president. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we talk about we talk about Grant was a great general, bad president. Eisenhower is also a pretty solid president. So mm-hmm. I, I, I he was able to take those political skills and translate them really well into the presidency. Mm-hmm. Who you said there's a lot of people that could fit the bill, and I'm I'm struggling to see who would even come close. I mean, John F. Kennedy militarily crew from a PT boat when it was crushed by a Japanese ship. Gerald Ford was lieutenant commander in the United States uh, Navy Reserve. Uh, Ronald Reagan was a captain in the Army. George Bush and George Bush were both lieutenants. Jimmy Carter no, was I, a lieutenant. I, I get so, that, but none of them are. I mean, those are lieutenants and captains, and then you have the supreme Allied commander of World yeah. War II. Like, yeah. Like there's a lot of war heroes, but none of them are coming home to Rome for a triumph. No, I'm just saying compared to 1901 to 1945, where there was it was literally uh, McKinley, Roosevelt and 
again, outside of them, nobody had any real military service. Mm-hmm. It was a very civilian presidency during that era. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's all. Okay. I, I mean, I agree. I'm going to Eisenhower too. Uh, to add a couple notes to what Eric said, uh, he did the interstate highway system, in uh, which was the first major uh, infrastructure, probably since the Transcontinental Railroad um, that the that America had, <clears throat> um, totally transformed how we dealt with shipping and trade and commerce across the 50 states, uh, which is hugely impactful and was the last apparently major infrastructure since the 1950s until just now when we passed the most recent infrastructure bill in 2021. Also, as president, uh, he had to deal with Stalin (laughs) um, for the first four years of his presidency and navigating um, the beginning of the Cold War, overseeing uh, the end of the Korean War. I mean, he, he had some other trials. I know we talk about like the fifties as like this, you know, great time for America. It was perfect. Yeah. yeah. But there's some struggles there that he was able to deal with. Um, That's a good call about the interstate system. Um, that's huge for the modern economy. Yeah. How about you, Cameron? Do you got a, anybody different than Eisenhower? Um, yeah, I'm, I, I, to me, it's a no brainer. It's, it's Ronald Reagan. Um, if, if you look at, you know, I'm just looking at the faces of, of the modern presidents and, you know, got them all lined up and everything. And if, if I were to choose, you know, maybe the best speech giver, it's, he's on the top three, him, JFK and, and Obama are probably the best three speakers. Um, when it comes to just looking a certain way and, um, looking presidential, he's right there probably with, with Obama. Um, he, his foreign policy, I mean, he dealt with, uh, the, uh, fall of, uh, the Berlin wall during that time. There was a lot of, um, scare about the Russians and how powerful they were getting in the cold war. Um, you know, difficult time in American history. And yet it was very prosperous, um, actor turned president. He, he was hilarious. A lot of the, um, videos that I see of his speeches were just, he was so dang likable. And that was something that, you know, he, he's joking with his wife that, Hey honey, I forgot to dunk duck when he got shot. Um, that is something that, you know, you don't really joke about as the most powerful man alive, you've just been knocked down and, you know, you're making a joke about it. So he's just, again, this is me simplifying everything, but when he was at the helm, things were really, really great. And, um, you know, some of the, um, his, his policy was very, um, conservative. It was very, the government doesn't solve problems. And, and every one of his quotes that really I've, I've heard say, yeah, you know, that pretty much aligns with how I think and um, my philosophies just as a, as a human. Um, so speaking of that, I've got a couple that really 
stand out. Um, he, he said, uh, balancing of the budget is a little like protecting your virtue. You just have to learn to say no. Um, hated government spending. Um, government's view of the economy could be summed up in a short, a few short, short phrases. If it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulate it. And if it stops moving, subsidize it. I mean, just funny, quotable, uh, great. Go back to the first quote again. Uh, Balancing the budget. Yeah. Balancing the budget is a little like protecting your virtue. You just have to learn to say no. But with modern monetary theory, you applied that to your virtue. Here we go. (laughs) So it's interesting, though, because Reagan was a reaction to 40 years of Roosevelt style governance mm, yeah. um, from the forties to this through the seventies, the way Roosevelt operated was the par for the course. I mean, Republicans are known as Rockefeller Republicans, which believed in a strong federal government and spending on certain social things. And then Reagan was a rejection of that. And mm. he was known as the great communicator, but his rejection of that, formed basically the next 40 years of Republican ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they drastically changed how the Republican governance operated in comparison to Democrats. Um, and he was hugely popular. You know, and it's another one is after the, I don't remember what amendment number is when they term limited, term limited presidents, there's an argument to be made that two other presidents would have been elected to multiple terms one of those is Ronald Reagan. The other would have been Dwight Eisenhower because of how mm-hmm. popular they were um, uh, when they left office. So, yeah, it's a very he's definitely deserving of probably being one of the most influential presidents in the second half of the 20th century. And he's a Californian. And, <laughs> and he he's a the, Californian. And he was in the Mule Days Parade in 1974. So, well, you know, and that's his that's his Rushmore moment. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, all, all those great things aside, he was the grand marshal of the Mule Days Parade in 74. So put his face on the mountain there in Bishop then. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, well, that ends our list. So I think we got some good picks here. Um, real quick. So this is informal, but. Between era one, we have Andrew Jackson, James Madison, and John Adams. Era two, Ulysses S. Grant. Cameron also picked Grant, and then I went with James Garfield. And uh, era three, Eric, you picked McKinley. Uh, Cameron, you picked Truman. I went with FDR. Era four, Eisenhower, Eisenhower, and Reagan. So those are our our picks for Mount Rushmore replacements. Um. Yeah, I think we had a I think we had a good list there. Good good selection. Yeah. So if we need to blow up another mountain to put some presidents on it, I think the committee needs to come to us first. We, we could put it in the Grand Canyon. I like your bishop idea. You know, there's <laughs> towering mountains all around there. Why can you not? talk to the town council and see if we I, can work something out? I'll uh, pull a few strings. Sweet. I don't know how to sculpt, but I'm willing to try with some dynamite. So let's make it happen. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, We will probably be doing some other 
Mount Rushmore hypotheticals with different characters, possibly generals, other famous Americans, uh, cartoon characters. I don't know, but uh, stick around because it's going to be fun. Thank you guys for joining us and uh, we'll see you all next week.